0: And thank you so much for the questions. I actually really mm-hmm. love the questions. I think they're very good questions. I have not even thought about it. I think mm-hmm. some, of, some of the time you do, do really have to either go through specific things to think about, either like happen to someone else who's close to you, who's going to share. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. things have not happened to me. So I, I love them. And, uh, I think that. And it's also
1: your questions are very great too. I'm not saying my questions better. So feel yeah. free to combine them together or pick whatever you feel is most relevant to yeah. you as a seller.
0: Definitely, definitely. So uh, the way I I was thinking to do the episode, since it's the beginning of the year, probably many mm-hmm. people heard about Amazon, FBA, and so on. And it's going mm-hmm. to be okay. Where to start if you're looking to source, right? So which are, yep. um, how should a beginner start? But also, like, keep in mind those questions that are really important, like uh, intellectual property, or as you were saying, if things yeah. go south, how okay. should they act and so on, right? So
1: it's uh, only for beginner to my from my point of view, and uh, this is. Also addressed to even existing customers, existing sellers.
0: Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, the, something that I notice is that uh, even existing sellers, like we are also three, four years in, right? And mm-hmm. when we're asking these questions, some people are embarrassed to ask them because they are quote unquote newbie questions, while well, they are not newbie questions. And st- Actually, I would love to you also to address that because these are not questions. These are only, as I was saying, if things are happening to you, you'll be aware of them. <laughs> but if yeah. not, you're not even thinking of them because there are so many things to think about. Sometimes
1: right? you just don't know what you don't know.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so that is the day that I would love to have for this episode. Sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. And it's going to be everything about sourcing. Awesome. Awesome. Okay all right so just making sure uh, your last name is kong am i pronouncing it right
1: kong yeah kong yes like hong mm-hmm. kong the same like hong kong okay yeah. okay brilliant all
0: right so i do have our cat here in the background hopefully he's not going to do <laughs> anything sure. but, but
1: uh, so just letting you when know I address your name i want to make it perfect that is pronounced as noemi or how's that how's pronounce Noemi? Noemi. Okay. No no. Like no, no Amy.
0: and Amy together. No Amy. No Amy. Yes. No Amy. Okay. Brilliant. Brilliant. So Brilliant. All right. Is there anything specific that you would not like to talk about during the podcast?
1: Um, I'm not able to disclose my client's identity. All right. And other than that, everything's open.
0: Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those are questions that I would have not asked. So that's great.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right. So... I think we are all set. Just looking through my nose. Do you have any other questions? No. No. All right.
1: Good. i block blocked out the whole hour for you. So take as long as you need.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So stopwatch just started. <laughs> OK. <laughs> all right. And 3, two, 1. Hey, hey wizards and welcome back to the Wizards of Ecom podcast. This is Noemi. I am your host and today I am joined by none other than Ben Kong, he is founder and CEO of Tintin Group and is also a successful serial entrepreneur in the global sourcing, manufacturing and investment banking world. Ben, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Noemi.
0: Thank you so so much for accepting my invite. So, just giving a short background on you, who you are and how I actually got to the- chance to meet you in person uh, you were attending at one of uh, carbon six events, I think a few months back uh, here in our like in Miami in our wizards of Ecom headquarters. and. Um, long story short, so after the event we went to bonefish that's a restaurant close by and afterwards we went back to our headquarters, where it's usually <laughs> we are going to chat about Okay, how was the event, what did you like what did you dislike and so on and. um yeah, you also joined us. And it was really interesting. There was like two or one new wizard, Paul, and he was just mastering something about his product and you just do the product and just looking at it and like, oh, okay. And how much do you like, what is MOQ and how much do you are you being in church and so on. And then asking some like very, very precise questions and then Oh, you know that there are like different ways how to make this product and then you were saying uh, you know this is the cheapest way how to make the product but they are still like charged yeah. the full price or something like that so it was yes. really really interesting how you just like took a product and like oh you know there are so many things about it you know and yeah. um, this is why I wanted to have you on because clearly you showed your expertise when it comes to the topic and today's topic is going to be sourcing so oh. I'm going to act as a newbie, not so newbie. And I'm going to ask all the questions that one should when they are starting sourcing. And right at the beginning, before really hitting recording, you were mentioning that these are not only beginner questions, but also advanced sellers. They are not aware exactly. of them. Yeah,
1: exactly. So it's not only beginners. And also we have been uh, servicing customers have been doing this for years, in you know, five plus years. Mm-hmm. We are still able to Introduce some cost saving to them, and our average saving over the 2022 is over 22.6 mm-hmm. percent across the board for new be new beginners as well as people have been sourcing overseas for ten plus years.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But mm-hmm. I think, like especially with e-commerce, there's not a school to go to e-commerce school, and then you just can't come out like knowing everything, right? So this is why, exactly. this is why we're going to go from the beginning, like questions where what to know or things to know to source uh, effectively to like really okay, things goes out what to do next right so exactly, exactly. what you might like mind walking me through the process okay what should what are the things that one should know before they are starting sourcing
1: i think it's a great question um again first of all by no means this is a beginner question and even we have been doing this for almost 13 years now and we are still asking the same question, where we should start every time when we look at a product? So we are proud of being a product guide and a sourcing guide. So that's what we do. We take a look at product in a very detailed, intensive way to analyze all the key factors of determining the sourcing process. And it boils down to a process that we want to ask three questions. What are the priority here? Is it the quality or the price, or is it the lead time as a priority in the sourcing process? Because obviously, any seller, any brand owner, any private any private label brand owner, even any business owner want to have three of these. And most of the time, you can only ask for one of these three, quality, price, and lead time. And if you are doing really a, a killer job, killing job, then you may be able to ask for two. But I haven't seen any case you are able to ask for all, all three of them. And for those who insist to have three of them, You may fall into the very common people asking too much and get nothing at the end Mm -hmm. so that's the starting point is to determine if this is a a, a time we will take the priority or is the quality will take a priority or is the price will take a priority so that's my uh two cents about training my team in china as well in, in u.s how to identify what is the real needs from the buyer from the seller from the brand owner. Are they really one of them or are they un- unintentionally actually over-prioritize price over quality? We need to take a look, a deep look in to their listing to see who is their target segment, who they're selling to, who they're competing with. Uh, is it a commodity product or it's a me-too product or is it in- it's a seasonal product or it's uh, addressed to a higher-end premium customers? Those are all variables in this equation in order to determine where to start in the sourcing. I don't know if I answer you.
0: Hundred uh, percent yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you did. And I, I love that you said that there's like, okay, which one are you going to sacrifice because um uh, mm-hmm. again like giving you the example whenever we're starting or like i also see other entrepreneurs starting they don't know what they don't know so mm-hmm. the first thing is going to be how do i get this the cheapest way right and right. then you're going to get something cheap but then the quality is not there right mm-hmm. so um yep. if it comes to you which one would you prioritize
1: first but well, depends if if the product is seasonal as for example if you are let's say now in the mid of december late december you want you want to launch something in summer let's say swimming pool item you will immediately drop the pricing and quality you want to 100 percent focus on timing mm. are you able to get it in get the product in front of your consumer by the, by the beginning of the summer is what you need to pay high attention to however if you are launching a product that have another probably 10 sellers selling very successfully and this is not a seasonal product, then you will immediately put the price on the top priority because you want to compete head-to-head with those leaders on the board. And otherwise, for example, if you are selling a product, probably will be 10% more higher than everyone else selling on Amazon or your TTC website. And then immediately you want to emphasize on the quality instead of the price. So overall, to answer your question short in short, I would say more than half of the opportunities came to us with a price as a priority Mm -hmm. honestly Uh, because even on amazon or dtc websites uh, not a lot of uh, products able to differentiate themselves but for those are able to it's less price price sensitive but a lot of customers come to us with a price efficiency that we can improve as a priority
0: Mm, got it. So price efficiency, you mean that like getting it at the lower price or like making it sure that it's like a higher quality product, that it can be at the same price as, let's say, as a competition?
1: Um, that's the way the priority comes in, right? So we typically ask the question to a customer, right? do you want us to drive down the price with the same level of quality or you want us to keep the price and drive up the quality? Those are the very first question we ask and... Like I said, more more than half of the customer will come to us. They say I want to keep the quality but drive down the price, mm-hmm. and we are able to achieve it by different ways, right? So we have a team in China. We will basically negotiate hard with the factory, as well as we will try to see if there's any existing trading agency in the middle of the current sourcing process that we will take out and contact connect the factory directly with the client, so they can bypass on all the middle layer markup in this sourcing process to get to the most, uh, the highest cost efficiency here.
0: Got it. All right. Mm -hmm. So now that we understand this step, okay, what would be the next step? Let's say we decided that we're going to launch a product and it's based Mm -hmm. on quality actually, this time it's not pricing. So we are your ideal (laughs) ideal client, Mm -hmm. right? So what would be next then?
1: Yeah, so this is a very common uh, difference Linton Houghton does because a lot of customers, the next step we know, a lot of seller, private label seller especially, the next step if they do it by themselves will be open Alibaba and start searching the product and searching for a factory and to be very clear here we uh, do not follow that process in Linton so because we understand over the years of sourcing Alibaba Is not the most reliable platform to acquire knowledge and information about your factory. Because at the end of the day, Alibaba is hired by those people putting advertising on their platform, aka the factory and the trading agency. So you cannot 100% rely on the information showed on Alibaba platform and take it as a fact. And there's a lot of discovery process you need to go through. So inside Linton, what we do is a different, taking a different approach. We use existing network of factory as for referrals when it comes down to the product. And also second, we do a big data mining to see, okay, for example, if this is a plastic product, this is a toy product, where is the primary location of making such product? And then within the primary location, we look for the leading factories, most competitive factories within that region and reach out to them for this this product instead of doing search on the product we search on the region first start by searching the region and then narrow down within the region who is the winner who are the winners in that region is the next step so that's that will be our first two steps to do instead of going jumping right into alibaba search
0: i love that. so and especially i love that see like for for example those questions we would have never thought. Of those questions, we are taught to use this software, go to Alibaba, find the product, mm-hmm. contact them, so mm-hmm. those are the our, our normal steps. let's put it that way right, so I would have never thought like I also know that there are like specific regions that are specialized in uh, some type of materials but. Like mm-hmm. you just like went directly there, <laughs> so that would be the first thing and then who's going to give the best price Who is really. Um, really good in that type of product. So I like that approach. I really
1: And also always keep in mind that people spend a lot of money on Alibaba to promote their factory or their company as an agency. And also everyone knows when they're spending tens of thousands of dollars a year, tens of thousands of dollars a year on Alibaba, they know exactly what private label seller, brand owners are looking for on Alibaba. They, are, they know as a brand owner, they are looking for direct contact with the factory. You're looking for established factory. You're looking for good quality, reliable uh, history of factories. I'm not saying 100% of those information is fabricated, but just do not trust data until you have a personal experience and send someone in a neutral position to verify any of those information before you write a check. So that's mm. my... Lesson learned over the years and mm-hmm. we heard a lot of sad uh, sour story from our customers how things went south when everything on the page on the website looks great on alibaba and in reality it's a hundred percent different story
0: yeah definitely would you also mind sharing uh, so this is the process then we're going to manufacture the uh we're going to contact the manufacturer um mm-hmm. you were mentioning things going south so uh, i mm-hmm. suppose that this point it's really like understanding if that manufacturer is really able to source the product mm-hmm. for you. So are you doing some type of inspections or what would be the process afterwards?
1: Yeah, so um, inspection or we call it audit at this point is, is a very essential step. So you need to send someone with a neutral interest on site to check it out. The few things to check, obviously. First, you wanna make sure who you talk to actually is from the factory because a lot of them carry a generic email address, qq.com, whatever address it is. Okay. For some reason, they don't like to use company address email. So in that case, you want to match the personnel to the identity as a first step in your audit. The second step is you want to match the identity to the facility you're sending the auditor to. Then you need to match what you heard and saw on the website and you were told by direct from the factory and matching what you what the auditor go on site, he or she sees on side all those matching to happen before you can actually walk into a serious relationship it's it's just like any relationship you need to look for the red flag from beginning and not saying we has to be skeptical along all the process but at the very beginning you need to have the radar just open up for the red flags some red flag, for example if the factory telling you, okay, the capacity is that high, and if your guy go inside see, okay, count the machine, as easy as just count the machine, count the workforce reported to work that day, and do the simple math to see is it realistic to achieve the capacity, the factory pitch you at the beginning to see if that's match. If it's this inflated number, then that's the first ref. Second ref flag you're looking for is in this whole process, do they always tell you, good story, good news? Do they bring you to reality? How's it gonna work in this process? Because hiding bad news is another reflect we look for in this communication. The third is if along the communication, when you move on from sourcing to making samples, if the sample doesn't come out right and the fact you keep telling you hmm, the mass production in the bulk order will be better than the sample, that's a huge red flag. Just walk away in that situation because I haven't seen the factory actually do a better job in the mass production than the sample. Because they want to earn your business when they do the sample for you, not that they don't want to make a better sample. Is they are not able to make a better sample. And for all the empty promise that the mass production will be better, I haven't seen it. Maybe I'm limiting my exposure, but with a more than a decade of experience in doing this, I haven't seen one case that mass production is way better than the sample.
0: Mm-hmm. No, that totally makes so sense. So those are the
1: reflexes we want to avoid as a as a either a beginner or even a, a veteran as mm-hmm. a seller. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. And uh, I, I liked also the that you mentioned about samples. Um, usually that's the first step that people are doing. Like they are asking for a lot of samples, and then mm-hmm. okay, these samples doesn't look so good. But yeah, that's like your first impression of someone. So if the first impression mm-hmm. is going to be wrong or bad, or like they are not doing their best, you know, that's mm-hmm. also the way how I see it, samples, right? So if yeah. they didn't really care to like show you mm-hmm. what your end product would look like as on a sample side, you know, like I think that's uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's really, really almost good call out,
1: yeah. You, you can almost expect this is a ceiling of the quality of your final product if you see the sample that way because they want your earn want to earn your business desperately at that point. Mm-hmm. And unless someone's doing really a lousy job, otherwise, no one will send you a uh, not so good sample.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I'd say in this scenario, okay, we went through the, the inspection, is, inspection came out great. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. next?
1: So, inspection out right and then you're going through the price negotiation you're going through the sample inspection and all those right? and especially with the price negotiation don't put all the eggs in one basket no matter how much you are in love with the rep uh, or the factory you're talking to just don't put everything in one channel so you need to diversify and this is your best friend in the whole sourcing process is talking to multiple sources and just be diligent in discovering more factories along the whole process. Never stop that process, I would say. Even if you are selling a very successful hero skill, just never stop talking to new factories, new inputs. That will put you in a much much better position and a neutral position position to make a judgment if the information received, the quote you received from this factory, is it inflated quote? Is it um uh, uh Uh, exceptionally low cost and all this needs to be detected as early as possible and the only way you can detect that is to collect information from multiple sources multiple factories multiple trading agencies sometimes even then you can detect that and then that's your best friend because that's the best leverage to negotiate the price down sometimes it's not about your negotiation skill it's about what information you have in the negotiation process when you tell the factory, you just drop the name. Hey, I know the factory down the road, next next to your factory. They're offering a lower price or better term. That's the easiest way you can get your price a little bit lower. So instead of developing a very loyal relationship at this point, stay away from the loyalty at this point. Mm-hmm. Instead, or just diversifying your inputs of information to continue to get the the best out of it.
0: Mm, I like that. And I, I actually like this approach. I, I am totally the opposite. I'm very like loyal from the beginning and so on. And then just like, prove me wrong. But I, I like your approach better because at this point, they didn't really showed anything, showed up mm-hmm. for anything, right?
1: I'm not saying we should not be loyal to the factory. We should be loyal to the factory at some point. The loyalty comes in when you start making the commitment, the hard commitment to work with this factory. Mm-hmm then you need to show loyalty to them. But in the sourcing earlier stage, you need to diversify. You need to see as many as possible when time allows of inputs. And then even in the hard commitment, post hard commitment, meaning you send a PO, you send a deposit. When we say loyal, does not mean that you should not keep an eye on the market from other sources. But however, the loyalty means you will not, hide information from them you'll be transparent with them say hey i see another factory approach me getting me a better price a different way of working uh, uh working out the 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 problem another way of using different material what do you think share that inputs with the factory in the post po stage that's the essence essence of the loyalty but always keep your radar open for other sources is the key
0: yeah, thank you so much for like explaining that makes total sense. Yeah, I actually we both see eye to eye there. So yeah, I agree to yeah. that. So let's say we started working with the factory, everything gets mm-hmm. well, they just produce, I don't know, a thousand units, we're sending everything into FBA, we started to build loyalty. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then it's like, would you still we we don't want to totally depend on those uh suppliers, right? So what would be the next step there?
1: Yeah, so now it depends where you are. If you are sourcing a hero skill that you've been selling, all right, leverage on your brand name. Leverage on your brand name to have other winning leading factories who always provide you quotes and build a backup factory. This is the most overlooked solution or strategy seller that are not using. For the reason that Sometimes, like in the past three years, we went through a lot of COVID shutdown, uh, all kind of shutdown, basically, and delays. And your best solution here is to have a, fa- a backup factory taking a small portion of your order all the time. By doing that, you, have, you gain two advantages. One, the primary factory you are channeling, like, for example, 80 85% of the orders to, they know you have a backup factory. You always keep them on their toes, so they can do the best job for you, and they don't feel comfortable to basically keep increasing your price, getting a lousy quality, or delaying the delaying the delivery because they know you have someone in the in the in the pipeline can replace them immediately. And however, you also want to channel majority of your your order to the primary factory and keep the second factory hungry and knowing that your hero skill can switch any day to them. Mm. However, for some new product launch that you don't have a brand name yet, you're in a tougher position to develop a backup, backup factory. You do need to work with them in a human way to tell them where you are. As a backup factory, if you keep the leadership open, share with them what you're going through, and most of them are willing to provide you opinions, advice as a competitor to the current factory you're using. So I always encourage my team, at least at any moment, if one backup factory is not to any skills we are managing for our customers.
0: Mm, that's a great advice. Yeah, and, and I'd like that and I agree with that. So what if like, you're doing really well and the companies, uh, like the manufacturer are just noticing that and like, oh, we should sell this product also on Amazon. So <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, yeah, touching,
1: uh, yeah, touching a very, very important point here is the intellectual property protection and we can do a whole day conversation about this Uh, we have seen tons of cases how um sellers got damaged or got hurt because of the intellectual property situation and factories are very savvy these days are very savvy these days they know how to sell on amazon they have a lot of third party help them them helping them launching their product on amazon and only thing stopping them from doing that there are two no only two, two things to stopping from doing that one is the benefit they can get from you is larger than the benefit they launch by their own that's the upside the downside is the downside stopping them from doing so is your language in the whole process starting from sourcing inquiry all the way to PO purchase purchase order stopping them from doing that, otherwise they'll be facing facing legal uh, consequence. So those are the two ways to handle the situation. As you can see, this is not a aftermath uh, corrective uh, method. It should be a preventive method put in place from beginning when you start sending the inquiry to a factory, always put a disclaimer there, always put a language in any inquiry sent to a factory if this is something you want to protect. And mentioning all the proprietary information disclosed, shared with the factory belongs to you. And in the way that later on, if unfortunately an unlikely event you have to take them on court, you can prove to the any third party that this information was shared by you and you maintain the ownership of that information from get-go, from the inquiry, not only on the purchase order. And more importantly, obviously, is a purchase order that you have to put it black and white. All the proprietary information belongs to you. And they will be responsible for any damage and attorney fee if they try to steal your information. And last but not least, do the due diligence in the background before you hire the factory. One thing I always have my team to check is before we send a PO, or even work into a more serious relationship with the factory, check the background. What kind of intellectual property this factory owns? You don't want to work with work the with factory-owned 20, 30 intellectual property patents in US or in China. You don't want to work with them for the reason that this is becoming their daily operation. When they see something proprietary, they will just go grab it and own it. If you see this factory is owning some of the product being sold on Amazon, it's not. however, the seller is not the factory, now this is a red flag. You, don't, you should be very cautious when you're dealing with the factory because you want to see the pattern of the behavior of the factory before you make a commitment to that factory. That's another way to, to filter out some factory that you may not want to work with
0: yeah those are great points and uh, again like if you if it didn't happen to you you're not even thinking of that it's like you're you're just hoping for sending the into amazon as fast as possible your product so these are like great things so would you mind like uh, again like explaining with the pattern why like i mean it makes sense that they would take a pattern for something that it's it worked well for someone else did i understand mm-hmm. that correctly
1: or mm-hmm. oh, okay. yeah so there are two kind of patterns. One kind of patent is the factory owns a patent of a know-how. For example, how to make the product, to make the manufacturing process. That's great. That's Those are positive patents you are looking for. factory know what they do. That's the proof of no, they know what they do. However, there's other patents. It's really to defining the proprietary information ownership of something being sold on Amazon or DTC website in the US. Those are the reflecting you need to look for. If a factory owning those patents, that's another party is selling the item so that's a that's a pattern you need to detect that the factory is stealing information from others. Mm-hmm. Those are two different kinds of patterns you know for example, just for example, if uh, uh, I'm using a you know, appropriate uh, uh, let's say a a toothbrush holder in my hand here. Mm-hmm. if you see a patents about the material. Break. It's a patterns about how to color it. Break. It's a process pattern. If the patent's about how this uh, toothbrush is different than others, and this toothbrush can do a better job than others, and then this toothbrush is being sold on Amazon by a seller, that's not the factory. And that's a red flag because that means the, the factory is start utilizing the information they receive from other customers. And registering their own pattern, so that's those are very different, two different ways. So, pattern are not born equal, basically. <laughs> mm,
0: got it. Okay, so until now, I knew about those two types of patterns the design pattern and the utility pattern. So,
1: yeah.
0: which is which then,
1: or like, so what we talk about so far is utility pattern.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Everything we talk about here until now is utility pattern. Okay, so for example, the material of this toothbrush holder. It's uh, some kind of plastic resin, the melting point, and what kind of ingredient we put into the resin to make it higher and more waterproof, more mold-proof. Those are good patterns you're looking for because nothing to do with the skill. However, if this uh, toothbrush has some kind of opening that nobody else has, and this opening become a selling feature on Amazon, Mm. those still are utility patent. However, this is not a pattern you want to see from a factory's database.
0: Got it.
1: Because that pattern should be owned by the client, by the seller, not by the factory. There could be some exception, for example, the seller hire a factory to own the pattern. It's really uh, unusual to see this kind of operation, but if you see a factory owning tons of patterns, adjust directly to some special features of a product being sold on amazon be really careful working with that factory
0: these are brilliant tips man and yeah i wish i had you on like four years ago before we
1: started even <laughs> so these yeah. are great
0: things so let's say things are really like going south you just discover that uh, one of your like one of your designs is that red flag that some, like like the manufacturer is showing off to someone else. Uh, What to do in this
1: scenario? So uh, when we talk about something goes south, it's not only about intellectual property, or it could be about quality control, could be about lead time delays, could be about compliance violation, could be about someone also missing MIA for an extended period of time and you're wondering if your deposit just disappeared. Mm. So all those are possible, right? So um, I know everybody's looking for a very easy solution to manage this kind of uh, contract enforceability. After you send a PO to a factory, write a deposit check to the factory, what would happen if the factory just not delivering what they promised you upfront? And the rule of thumb is this is a reality talk. Honestly, it's you can go emotion, you can go emotional. You can sue the factory, hire attorney do whatever you want if you have the time and money to at your discretion do so. Go ahead. But economically, if your the damage is less than one hundred thousand dollars, and time and cost of hiring attorney and the time to wait for the lawsuit to finish and also the time you spent on in enforcing even this uh, uh the lawsuit you prevail in the lawsuit it's just too long. Way longer than most people would like to see mm-hmm. when the, the 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 value in play in question is less than hundred thousand dollars. However, if you feel personally you are attacked, you are being taken advantage of, you want to go after them no matter how much money you want to spend, uh, you need to spend, that's a different Equation, but what I'm saying is financially, make a lot of sense when the damage is higher than a thousand dollars. The rule of thumb. Mm-hmm. And second consideration is, lawsuit is not your best resource, uh, best approach to manage these. In managing overseas contract relationship, your best approach is your payment term. Nothing else.
0: Okay. Other mm-hmm. than
1: payment term. You can trust nothing else, especially when the order is small, like $30,000, $50,000. Payment term is the most reliable way to manage your relationship with your factory from the PO. So what it means is, let's say you want to pay your factory slightly lower than the actual cost, get to that step the factory needs to spend. For example... Still using this material, this product as example, the, the toothbrush holder for those I'm not able to see the screen here is a toothbrush uh, holder. Let's say you know, in order for the factory to order the material, they may need to spend probably 30% of the cost to order the material. What we want to do, you want to pay the deposit about 25%. You want the factory to have 5% in the game. And next uh, next step, if you send in your guy in the middle of the production to inspect the order, and you see they have already been put in place, everything's been printed, being packaged, halfway done, you ma- you may want to release another chunk of payment, but you need to measure how much in this point at this point the factory spent, and you pay slightly lower than the amount. Always put the factory on the hook to make them have their skin in the game. Until very last moment, final inspection done, everything is up to your satisfaction, then you release the full fund. In that way, you, you want to trust nothing but that the factory is on the hook of putting their own money in. And obviously, everybody knows this is easy to say, but it's difficult to achieve when you negotiate your payment term. And now everything goes back to the very beginning when we talk about how to use multiple alternatives of factories when you're bouncing your negotiation back and forth with the primary factory you don't want to work with to tell them, okay, factory B is offering this payment term. How about you? is something you can do to lower it. And then along time, along the years, you start building the trust. You know, they are not going to take advantage of you. And now you can convince the factory to give you better term. To the extent, let's say, for example, you are one one plus million seller on one skill, And this point we will work with, normally the way we handle it is ask our client to actually press the factory to establish a performance bond, quality bond put in place. What this means is the factory put the money on the third party account, even to your account, to guarantee a satisfying result of the quality and delays or lead time in order for them to protect the bond. So this kind of process is an evolving process. From beginning, you want to analyze the cost structure of the product and have the factory have a skin game and putting them in a horse racing to compete for your business by offering the most competitive payment term. And later on, you put in a bond in place for the factory to have a deeper skin game. Mm-hmm. In that way, you avoid lawsuit down the road mm-hmm. so law enforcement country enforcement is always expensive and payment term you'd rather spend 10 minutes of your time negotiating the payment term than the whole year of your time going after the factory when things go south so that that's our, our approach in managing relationship in the post appeal stage
0: mm-hmm. You're sharing golden nuggets, my friend, golden nuggets. I hope that also our listeners are going to take like, good listen to this episode and did even listening twice wow. to it because these are like like great tips. Um, so one of the things, I think one of the last things since we are 36 minutes in, um, yeah. I would like to ask you is like COVID is happening, right? And yeah. at some point, like people mentioned also in our group, uh, price increase because COVID, um, yeah. how would you, how would you treat those kind of situations?
1: So yeah, this is a tough one because a lot of factories are coming back to us for those skills we are managing on behalf of our clients for fa- price hike. And what we know some of them are legit. For example, the inflation is the reality in the past 24 months. The inflation, everything just go up, labor cost, Utility cost, material cost, even storage cost, everything just go up. Uh, how to differentiate if this is a reasonable request, or this is uh, something that the factory or your vendor feel have the? Uh, it's getting too comfortable with the relationship, and they know your switching cost to a new factory, it's going to be higher than the cost you little bit extra cost you pay to them. So that's the measurement they're measuring, right? If you need to switch to a second factory, you will go through a certain pain to go to do that. How much that pain worth is the, me- the factory measuring if they try to take advantage of the leadership? So come back to the original, a uh, uh, couple of minutes ago, we talked about setting up a backup factory. The backup factory essentially what it does in math is to lower your instant switch cost almost to zero. Mm-hmm. and that will discover discourage discourage the factory you're using now as a primary factory to increase the price in an unreasonable way because they know your switching cost is zero that's why anything that's unreasonable will be declined and they don't have the upper hand in that conversation to control the process when they know you have a backup second do your discovery job as well to see, let's say, for example, it's a stainless steel tumbler you're selling, using that example that night we talked about in the tumbler. Mm-hmm. You need to know the stainless steel that you're using, particularly that kind of steel. Like for example, it's a stainless steel 201 or stainless steel 304, what is the market trend in the past 30 days, 60 days? Is it really going up? That material costs probably more than 60, 70% of the entire product. If that per- if that material is not going up, you can counter it immediately to the fact you say, hey, this is the data, just do not BS me. And you have to do the job in that case to differentiate if this is a legit increase or this is an inflated increase, maybe both. So do your background homework to see if this is a legit increase and also build a backup in the background as well. So you have you have a much better control in a controlling position in that in that situation to differentiate if this is a reasonable increase or this is a, a factory being too comfortable.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Are there any questions that I should have asked and I haven't?
1: I think you asked very awesome questions. Honestly, I didn't expect this from the get go. But um, uh, bottom line is who you choose to trust in this whole process. I always uh, share this with all our prospects, friends, customers, uh, wherever we meet. You want to have someone in line with your best interest to help you in this process. Going to overseas sourcing process is like going to a wall. You need to have someone you can fully trust and in a professional way to come together with you. So that's where we build our brand about is the trust and also alignment of the interest. So there's uh, some entity there using a buy-sell model. They buy the product, sell it to you, maximize the profit. There's some 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 entity out there charging hourly rate. And what Linton does is a performance-based most of the time. It's Linton, save you costs, and charge a percentage of the saving as our pricing model. So that's what we are very proud of, how we help our customer to become very sharp in their pricing and go into a top five position in the category. That's Mm. all I have today.
0: (laughs) That's that's I think more than enough. So thank you so, so much to be super respectful of your time. Before we're wrapping up a few questions that I love to ask all my guests. The first one goes like this. What's your $50 or less investment you recently made that made you better at sourcing?
1: Could you repeat the question? Sorry.
0: Yes. So what is $50 or less investment you recently made that made you better at sourcing?
1: $50 or less investment. Yes. I will say, go to an event live the, of e-commerce to listen to the real, to listen for, from, the, from the sound of the trench. That's the most important thing you need to collect is what's really happening from the trench. And that's, I think the better spend of your money in sourcing
0: love it love it all right so top three favorite books and why do you love them
1: <laughs> okay ask, so this is getting ask. a, a <laughs> uh, well um i think i will wait uh, waiting for the book it's quite personal i mentioned to a few friends it's uh tuesday with maury talk about a person how he finished his five final few months of la- uh of his life and share with a young or middle um, life friend and a midlife friend, mid-life friend recorded those time that he spent with this person and then he's going to the uh, terminal disease. And that's really eye-opening how we look at things differently and share different perspectives of life. Mm-hmm. And it's not only about business. A lot of them are about our friends, our family, and the love, and the one we love and the one love loves us.
0: Love it. That's great. <laughs> so last question is, how can people get a hold of you and say hello and find out more about what you and the Linton Group does?
1: Thank you for asking that question. So uh, the company is called Linton Group. If you search L-I-N-T-O-N Group, you see us. Or if you want to go to our website, Linton, L-I-N-T-O-N, USA.com. You can find our contact there, you can schedule a meeting on the website with us, or you can send me an email, b-e-n-k bank, b-e-n-k at lintonusa.com. That will be the best
0: contact right. I have. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Thank you so, so much, Ben, for being on the podcast. I, I think this was the very, very thorough process from the beginning to the end, so I love it. And thank you so much for sharing so many golden nuggets because this is really like, it can save a ton of money. Uh, to people who have not followed these processes beforehand. So thank you once again for accepting or being on the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me. No
0: audience. No and to our listeners, take care, be good, as I will be back next time.